Welcome to the Moving Markets podcast on Wednesday, the 17th of May, with me, Bernadette Anderko. On the show today, we'll get the latest news on the US debt ceiling from Dario Messi in our fixed income research team. And Richard Tang is joining us from Asia to explain why Japanese equity markets are taking off again. Meanwhile, Mike Rauber from the investment writing team is here to bring us up to speed on what's been moving markets overnight. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Bernadette. We've got uh, plenty of US political and central bank news driving the markets at the moment, haven't we? Uh, yes, indu- indeed. Uh, yesterday, U- US equities fell as investors continued to await developments from the debt ceiling discussions in Washington, D.C. President Biden has now left for a shortened trip to Asia for the G7 meeting, and this is giving congressional aides time to further negotiate. Um, Dario Messi, as you, Bernadette, highlighted already, will bring us up to date in a minute on our take regarding the debt ceiling discussions. But yesterday, also comments by several U.S. Federal Reserve officials exposed an ongoing internal debate at the U.S. Central Bank over whether a pause on rate hikes next month is indeed justified given strong economic data releases. And this was also reinforced with retail sales for April released yesterday. They came in stronger than expected and were revised higher for the prior months. So with political and interest rate uncertainty in focus, the S&P 500 closed down 0.6% yesterday, with only telecom and technology sectors gaining on the day. The Nasdaq 100 was on the back of the strength in technology and telecom, little changed. And in good news, after the market closed, the shares of the mid-cap bank Western Alliance is about are about 7% higher as the company reports deposit growth this quarter. Okay, then aside from equities, I don't see much to tell about US Treasuries yesterday, but um, new issuance in the corporate bond market is a different story, right? Yes, indeed. Uh, the big news was Pfizer to finance its $43 billion purchase of Segan. It sold $31 billion of debt yesterday, and it was the fourth largest U.S. bond sale ever. Demand was so gra- great that Pfizer had orders totaling for $85 billion of its debt. Quite an amount, no? And it just also shows how much cash is sitting on the sidelines. Indeed. Um, now, if we move across uh, the water, looking at Asia, I see that Japan's Q1 growth figures have come out better than expected. Yes, indeed. Uh, so first to the market, the Nikkei 225 is topping the 30,000 point mark for the first time since uh, 2021. And indeed, as you mentioned, uh, Japan's economy were, uh, grew a better than expected 1.6% annualized in the first quarter. Uh, the surprise was really driven by consumption following the easing of uh, further pandemic regulations. But uh, one also needs to highlight a revision of earlier figures showed that Japan went through a technical recession at the end of the year. We will have Richard Tang in a minute on the show to hear where we think the sweet spot in Japanese equities is. Okay, um, moving across to China, it seems that the data continues to disappoint this week, if I've got that right. Yes, indeed. Uh, Their home price growth slowed in April. Uh, So underscoring the challenges that the market is facing uh, following a brief recovery, specifically new home prices in 70 cities rose just 0.32% last month from March, which was lower than expected. This, as you mentioned, follows the string of economic data releases on Tuesday that came in weaker than expected. And so the offshore yuan has weakened just this morning past seven against the US dollar for the first time this year. 
equities in Hong Kong and mainland China are also lower by a little less than 1%. And do you have any other market news for us, Mike? Yeah, just briefly, I mentioned before the better than expected US retail sales. This helped the US dollar, but also weight on gold. It fell for the first time since the start of May to below $2,000 an ounce. And this morning when I last looked, it was at $1,988. And the black gold, so oil is fairly steady in, and it is around uh, $75 this Wednesday morning. And finally, what should we expect today, Mike? Yeah, in economic data releases, we have Eurozone inflation, US housing starts, and also a string of earnings, including Munich Re, Siemens, Zurich Insurance, and in the US Cisco after the markets close. Um, and if I look at uh, markets, uh, European stocks, they are likely to open it a little lower as investors continue to weigh earnings, the outlook for interest rates, and the mentioned developments in the US debt ceiling talks. But that's all for me for today. Thanks for the update, Mike. Uh, now we turn to our analysts. And first up is Dario Messi, who's going to update us on the latest news on the US debt ceiling. Good morning to you, Dario. Good morning, Bernadette. So the US debt ceiling once again in the headlines. Uh, what's happening? Is the US government running out of money? Uh, yeah, I mean, you said it once again. It's not the first time. We had it already many times. In fact, it's already the in, in the last 12 years, we observed it already eight cases of this debt issuance suspension periods. So it's a situation when the US government hits this debt limit and therefore needs to use the, the cash balance at hand or some extraordinary measures uh, to pay ongoing expenses until this lim limit then gets really increased or temporarily suspended. And yes, since January, we, we reached again the, the, the debt limit in the US and the Republicans in uh, Congress and the White House, uh, uh, they really need to uh, kind of find a deal to increase or, or suspend it. And now what attracted really much of market, but also media attention in, in, in the recent days is this updated cash balance projection. So it is very uncertain and, and totally uh, depends also on how quickly tax revenues are coming in. But projections show now that cash could run out as early as beginning of June. Um, so in a bit more than two weeks. And also Treasury Secretary Yellen, you certainly saw it, is warning on this scenario. Now, what are the latest signals that we get here? Uh, we had uh, staff level discussions over the weekend. And then uh, yesterday, also the big meeting, which was uh, postponed from last Friday. Um, uh, we heard it before from Mike. Uh, Biden, the Republican House Speaker McCarthy, and uh, other congressional leaders, they, they gathered together. The signals that you get so far are quite mixed, to be honest. Um, Biden indicates how the discussion is going into the right direction, while McCarthy speaks about still some big gaps there. But generally, it seems that there really, really seems uh, a deal is really still possible. Okay, but is this the, the usual political gamble, or, or is there something we actually need to worry about? There is certainly a lot of usual political noise behind it. So both sides here want really to get the most out of it. The, the Republicans want some spending cuts and Biden wants uh, just a smooth uh, process without spending cuts so that he can prepare already for the presidential race. So a very uh, tricky situation. And there are some elements as well, which increase the risk that we don't get a deal this time around, but now... Our working assumption here really remains there will be a last-minute deal. The alternative is really just not 
appealing from, from various perspectives. And in the unlikely outcome that we reach this X state, so when the treasury has no cash anymore and, and there is no deal. Um, if it's only for a few days, we think the government uh, will still pay back debt and interest. So basically prioritizing these liabilities and the overall damage could be contained. It is very unlikely that such a period could last very long. So the pressure on Congress and Biden to find a solution would rise exponentially in such a scenario from already high levels that we have now. Uh, so the financial turmoil and also in turn also the, the economic damage, all of this, in other words, how we look at it, it's, it's kind of a low risk, but very big uh, impact event. Okay, so uh, if I can put you on the spot here, given all that uncertainty, as an investor, how would I react to this situation? I mean, should I sell everything? Uh, no, you shouldn't sell everything. Uh, clearly, the closer we move towards this X state without any deal, the more tense and volatile the market becomes. However, from an investment strategy perspective, we would treat this event as an external shock if it occurs. Uh, and irrespectively of the debt limit drama that we have at the moment, uh, from a fixed income perspective, specifically now the current environment of substantial tighter financing conditions already led us to kind of a de-risking credit portfolio. And we maintain here the preference still for quality bonds, but here still with some longer uh, duration exposure as well. Okay. So it's a case of fasten your seatbelt and, and stick with it. Indeed. Thanks very much for that, Dario. And now moving to Asia, investors are looking at Japan again, and I'm delighted to be joined by Richard Tang from our Asia Equity Research Department to discuss this. Hello, Richard. Oh, Bernadette. So uh, we haven't talked about Japan for a while, but why do you think it's an interesting topic right now? Yeah, indeed, uh, it's been off radar for quite a long time uh, in terms of Japan market. But um, if you look at the global backdrop, um, the global investors are very much focused on the economic outlook for US and Europe, um, that uh, people are worrying that uh, there may be some um, economic slowdown. Uh, at the same time, the China's economic recovery uh, is not as strong as what uh, people have hoped. So um, when Japan uh, starts to benefit from reopening, when the wage inflation seems to be um, getting traction, uh, it does put Japan at a very interesting um, uh, context. Uh, and, and that's why people are looking at this market again. Uh, I think uh, what's interesting is that uh, even though the performance of Japan year-to-day has been fairly strong, uh, what we noted is that the fund managers are still underweight. So if investors want to raise more exposure in this market, there's actually still room to do so. And of course, uh, at the beginning of the year, uh, people were debating about yield curve control, um, about um, uh, yen appreciation, uh, and, and all those uh, basically drew investor interest uh, into this market. So what are investors most focused on recently in, in the Japanese market? And, and what do you and your colleagues in the Asian Equity Research Department think? Yeah, the, the interest uh, changed a little bit. Uh, as I mentioned, the beginning of the year, it was about yield curve control. Uh, but now I think um, there are at least uh, three topics that uh, investors are most focused on. Number one, um, they are quite keen on Japan 
being and reopening beneficiary. As you know, uh, Japan was a little bit late compared to the Western countries in terms of uh, reopening the um, country and the border. Uh, so uh, it also uh, experienced the reopening uh, process a little bit later. Uh, so now we're seeing uh, the industrial side, the tourism side, the consumer side of Japan now uh, improving. And we think that uh, these economic activities uh, may revert uh, to the pre-pandemic level. So uh, on the economic side, uh, there's definitely a lot of excitement. Uh, that's point number one. Number two, uh, I think uh, people are definitely uh, excited uh, or at least interested uh, about uh, Warren Buffett uh, increasing his stakes uh, in five trading companies uh, that he has invested since the summer 2020. And then the third point is the Tokyo Stock Exchange urged those cheap companies in, in Japan, uh, those trading below book, uh, to come up with ways to improve their ROEs, uh, i.e. the return on equities, uh, as well as corporate governance with an aim of boosting valuation. So uh, I think those three are all interesting um, uh, points uh, to digest. Uh, but in terms of the view from us, from Julius Baer, uh, I think one thing that we do want to highlight is that Warren Buffett invested in the five trading companies, not the entire Japanese market. Uh, and a lot of market participants probably think that the investment is largely because of valuation, uh, that uh, a lot of these Japanese stocks are cheap. But uh, we disagree. Uh, we think that um, the ROE is probably more important because these five trading companies actually earn uh, ROE north of 20% with only one exception. Uh, so um, valuation probably cheap for these companies as well as the Japanese market, but um, uh, ROE uh, for the broader Japanese market is much lower at only 8%. Uh, so that's uh, point number one that we want to make in response to those uh, uh, three uh, topics. Uh, and, and, and that's why uh, it's important uh, to monitor whether the Tokyo Stock Exchange reform would indeed help the Japanese corporates uh, to improve the uh, return on equity uh, or shareholder return. Uh, but uh, we've so far seen some encouraging examples, not enough to really call it a trend. Uh, so I think in conclusion, uh, we think there are indeed some positive signs uh, that uh, Japan market and Japanese companies are improving, um, uh, changing for the better. Uh, but I think uh, it's still early to upgrade Japan to an overweight. Uh, we, we're actually keeping Japan as a market weight uh, and we're more focused, we are more focused on uh, specific stocks uh, that would be uh, uh, interesting in terms of RE improvement, uh, in terms of um, uh, some of the fundamental drivers. So uh, we will be focusing on specific stocks uh, rather than uh, just uh, buying the overall market. Okay, so when you talk about what's interesting, um, what areas should we be looking at then when it comes to investing? Yeah, so so if we carry on the conversation from the last point that I mentioned, uh, we focus a lot of the bottom-up or company-specific drivers. Uh, but I think uh, there is one, uh, if there is one common characteristic um, of these companies that we will focus on, it would be quality. Uh, that's fairly similar uh, to our other DM colleagues um, focus on uh, in terms of finding companies for um, uh, in US and Europe. Uh, so in Japan, we also looking for quality stocks. And uh, even though uh, Japan um, have been, you know, running for a few so-called lost decades, but uh, there are indeed some rural leaders, uh, some 
global brand companies uh, in the in the stock exchange that um, has very, very good pricing power. So we will be focusing on those stocks. Uh, those are the companies that generally earn uh, ROE much better than the, than the market. So I think um, uh, in short, uh, that would be the key criterion that we'll focus on uh, when we um, talk about uh, the implementation uh, style uh, to invest in Japan. That's brilliant. Thank you so much for the update today, Richard. Thank you. Well, that concludes today's podcast. Thank you for joining us. Uh, tomorrow is a European holiday, so we won't be broadcasting, but please tune in again on Friday for a currency special when Mike Rauber will host our guests, Tim Gagey and Karsten Menke. Meanwhile, if you've enjoyed today's show, please leave us a review on whichever platform you like to listen on. We'd love to hear feedback. Good luck today and goodbye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Für unsere deutschsprachigen Zuhörer, we would also like to make you aware of Marktanalysen und Gespräche, a monthly podcast in German, where Julius Baer experts discuss some of the latest market developments. We share our key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape in German. Search for Marktanalysen und Gespräche on your favorite podcast player.